Today's topic is the importance of leaving home at any age. Most people move out of their parents' home to start their own lives, whether it's when they go to college, get their first job, get married, or move in with roommates at some other point. But for most people, it's all too often merely a physical leaving home, not one that liberates their identity, that liberates the inner workings of the individual. As you know, that's partly why I decided to write my Leaving Home trilogy of autobiographical novels. The first book, Worship of Hollow Gods, explores some of the many hollow gods families become committed to, actually become addicted to, and the effect on a young boy of nine years old. The second book, An Ambition to Belong, is devoted to exploring the angst most adolescents experience no longer children and not yet adult, belonging nowhere. And finally, in the third book, When Angels Die, I dig into the deep inner workings of young adult self-deception and self-discovery. We've both struggled with self-discovery and personal liberation. So the whole issue of leaving home psychologically is near and dear to us both. It's the only way to truly overcome the fear of being fabulous. Certainly, writing the trilogy added to my own freedom to be fabulous. Writing about the many issues that people can find off-limits of even spiritually offenses. And in that way, it was a major act of internally leaving home. Hi, I'm Judith Shervin. And I'm Jim Snikowski. We're best known as Judith and Jim and have been married to each other since 1988. Working together as a psychology team, the authors of eight books, and currently working together as an executive coaching team for a variety of tech companies, including LinkedIn and Credit Karma. Today, what I want to do is interview you, Jim, about the need to leave home no matter your age, which is the logline for your trilogy of novels. You ready? Sure. Take it. Whatever you want to ask me. Okay. Please explain for everybody listening why leaving home at any age is so important to you. You made it the underlying theme of your trilogy of autobiographical novels. As I've matured in my life, both in relationships and in work, it's so obvious to me that unless I can increasingly leave behind how I was raised to seize myself and my rightful place in my life, I cannot move out into a larger, more robust, more expressive version of myself, of who I really am. Okay, please describe how you see leaving home in more detail and especially as it applies to your novels. We all grow up with no ability in the first few years to question how we are being raised. In my case, the Polish culture, Catholic religion, factory working adult male, and stay-at-home matkas, that's mothers in Polish, were all normal. That was the entire world as far as I understood. The family never left the neighborhood we never traveled even within Detroit. Sure, my dad went to a factory somewhere, but I never saw any area outside my street, Merchant Street, and the local church until I was about nine or 10. And even then, it was only to go to the movie theater downtown, which was a huge treat and a little frightening. 
It's important to remind everyone listening that the human brain isn't sufficiently developed to be able to evaluate what's going on until about age seven on up until age 11. In other words, the brain continues to grow during that entire time, allowing for increased ability to question and evaluate. But remember, that brain has seven or more years of not being able to do that, to not be able to evaluate what's going on. So most often, and even later, individuals never even begin to utilize that function and simply stay true to what was learned in their very early years. Exactly. So I framed my first novel, Worship of Hollow Gods, through the lenses and budding brain functions of our nine-year-old Jim. As he begins to evaluate his life and his family, exposing bit by bit the hollow gods he's been raised to believe in. What were the key challenges you had to face? After all, you were writing about your own family members. I know you changed most people's names, except for your own, but what else happened for you as you dug more deeply into those hollow gods you had been raised with? Certainly, it caused me to reflect more deeply about the pain, anxiety, fears, and sorrows that my parents experience on a daily basis and those of all my aunts and uncles. We were what was known as a tight-knit family, getting together most every week, seeing each other at church on every Sunday, living in the same neighborhood. One of my mother's brothers and his wife and kids, in fact, lived right next door to us. Wow. Sounds like there was very little privacy, much less freedom, to chart one's own path as you were growing up. As I said before, exactly. As I demonstrated in the second book, An Ambition to Belong, I had very little sense of where I did belong. I knew I didn't fit in my family. In fact, it felt claustrophobic. That's true for so many kids, especially those that are very bright and energetic, and neither the street gang I joined nor the private high school I went to, which catered to the auto industry's executive-level sons, neither one offered any kind of fit for me. So I struggled to belong. In the novel, I bring a fascinating closure to this issue. But it still haunts me how so many kids are actually growing up belonging nowhere. Oh, indeed. Indeed. All right, now a pivotal question. Why do you love writing fiction? Because I know you do. You and I have read eight nonfiction books on a variety of topics, even a progressive wedding book, and an examination of what really killed Whitney Houston, which exposed her fear of being fabulous. But nothing else so far has allowed my imagination and my philosophical frame of mind to find a broad field of play like fiction. All right. Thanks. I've never heard you say that before. I get it. I really do. I get it. I understand why you love it so much. Now, have you run into your own fear of being fabulous in writing these novels? Actually, just the opposite in some ways. I've been rewarded by many examples of what a truly good writer I am. And you know my experience in the 11th grade when the Jesuit priest who taught English singled out my writing for special acclaim, and I privately decided he was a jerk and didn't have a clue about writing. 
because what I'd written had been dashed off during lunch break. So to now recognize and be recognized by book reviewers and others for my excellent writing, this is quite a thrill, actually. It's fun to hear you say that. Okay. Any advice for our listeners before we wrap up this podcast for today? Yes. Whatever you have been putting off, like I put off writing fiction for decades, do it now. Don't waste another day or even another hour worrying about the outcome, hesitating because you're imagining what others might think, concerned about whether the outcome will be good enough. Who cares? The only way to find out is to do it. Do it now. And that includes going back to school, changing careers, getting healthy, abandoning unhealthy relationship, traveling, anything created. Do it now. All right. And I would like to thank you, my dear husband, for continually moving past your fear of being fabulous after your mouth muscles, your speaking muscles, were damaged during the stroke you suffered in 2016. It's been my deep and sincere pleasure to interview you today and continue to work with you in our executive team coaching. And with that, celebrate Valentine's Day by opening to love. A beautiful gift for your relationship. Yes. Now you and your special sweetheart can receive a daily dose of Opening to Love 365 days a year in your email. One love message at a time for an entire year. As someone wrote to us recently and said, this is a must-read each morning before we start our day. It's a lovely guide. I give it as a gift. Order yours to be ready for Valentine's Day. It's only 10 cents a day. Go to overcomingthefearofbeingfabulous.com forward slash opening to love 365. Until next time, we wish you a more fabulous life.